right, here we go. Welcome back to the Bibliotheques podcast, everyone. Today, Cody and myself are wrapping up our recap and discussion of Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Cody, how is life after finishing this book? Life is good. Got a big happy ending, you know? It certainly did. And it's one of those where I just like... I feel like I say this about a lot of the books that we read, but it's especially true of this one. I felt the same kind of with like Pride and Prejudice too, where it's a very bittersweet moment because there's like a very, I don't know, pleasing happily ever after. This one felt bittersweet, not just because the book was ending, but also there's some other elements there that we can we can discuss as we get to the end of it today. But overall, I just I don't know. We can talk about why more, but I just I love this book so much. I thought it was so fun to read. This book has been amazing and we've gotten some really fun feedback from listeners about it as well. I'm disappointed to, you know, wrap up the story, but you know, we're not done with it yet. We're going to have a couple we're going to have one more fun episode on uh breaking down some other media. So, we're not quite done yet. That's right. So today we've got a ton to dig into. We're doing the last nine chapters of this book today, chapter 39 through 47. As a quick recap before we get into today's chapters, last week we learned that Beth is feeling kind of down or not looking so great. Joe suspects that this is because she is dealing with some unrequited love. Um, she suspects Beth is in love with Lori, but Lori's still crushing extra hard on Joe. So Joe goes off to New York to give Lori some space. Uh, while Joe is in New York, she meets Professor Bear, who's this warm 40-something-year-old German professor, and he is just the total package. He's the absolute shit. Joe, while in New York, is also writing a bunch of these sensation stories, but stops writing them after Professor Bear expresses kind of like his distaste for that type of writing and story. We learn that Professor Bear is crushing pretty hard on Joe as well. And so Joe goes home and finally has to turn down Lori after he pours his heart out to her. And Lori just enters sad boy season with an absolute vengeance. That's right. So Lori and Grandpa Lawrence go to Europe while Joe takes Beth to the beach, as Cody said last week, is like vital to your <laughs> like medical trajectory. Just going to the beach is what you need to do, apparently. But while at the beach with Beth, Joe learns that Beth is dying. Very somber chapter last week. We move on where... Amy and Lori link up in Paris and start to notice new things about each other. And back in America, Meg and John are figuring out a better way of balancing the parenting of their twin children, Daisy and Demi John. And their relationship with this new balance is improving and everything is going well in the D spot, their home. And that leads us to chapter 39 today titled Lazy Lawrence. Cody, if you'd like to take it away, sir, it's all you. I will. Great recap as usual. And I just want to do one more shout out. I think us uh, talking about the chapter titled Heartache was some of the most fun I've had on this podcast in a long time. It's fun every time, but that was that was an especially good one. We were, we were cooking. It was so great. I had a great time with that one. And Cody, 
So you mentioned real quick before we get into these chapters also, you mentioned that we had gotten some feedback. And one of the bits of feedback we got was someone saying, you know, I did not interpret the heartache chapter with the amount of like humor that you guys did. I want to make it very clear. So much of the time that I'm coming on this podcast, I don't know, Cody, if you feel the same. I feel a lot like more humorous about things when I'm discussing them after the fact than when I'm reading them. So like reading the heartache chapter, I was very into it feeling like the heartbreak and it is very sad for Lori. And then it's just looking back that I'm like, okay, but also that's hilarious. Yeah, we do. We do that a lot. It's I feel like a lot of these stories, if you just interpreted them the way that, you know, straight down the middle, and almost like you were experiencing for the first time, it would be like almost a little weird, like a weird mirror of the book. But I, I, I feel like we have the benefit of we're not just like also like reading it beach read style. Like you and I take notes. We have to like li- we have to read with the purpose of interpret interpreting and analyzing. And I feel like when you do that, you it forces you to take a break and be like, wait, what the fuck is Lori talking about right now? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. The the notes piece is no joke. I've got eight pages of notes today. So let's, yeah, let's just let's okay. Yeah, we gotta this. dive in. Okay, chapter thirty nine, titled "Lazy Lauren." So Laurie and Amy spend more time together in France. One day at a park, Amy has had enough of Laurie's quote lazy behavior, and really lets him have it. This kind of continues our streak of Amy feeling much more emboldened to tell Laurie how it is. She tells him that she needs to, he needs to like go back to his grandfather and like basically like grow up. So you'll note that in the last section of the book, she was kind of a little upset that Lori had lost his boyish charm, but it feels like he hasn't lost that boyish kind of sluggishness and procrastination and not real desire to do anything with his life. And Amy also kind of internally suspects that Joe might have something to do with these troubles as she sees him like basically like using the ring that she gave him as like a fidget toy. Um, He's just like always messing with it. And, you know, coming to the conclusion that he's suffering from heartache, she tries to be more understanding, but she does insist like lazy, lazy Lawrence, you got to figure it out. But by the end of the chapter, Lori basically concedes and sends word to his grandfather. And Amy's pretty happy to see that. Yeah, I love that. I, I love a few things in this chapter. The first of which is that there's a note about Laurie feeling that he deserves all womanly attention after having his heart broken by Joe, which is just, this, it's so funny because he's this like, fucking guy. it's just an abs like Laurie is just throwing himself an absolute pity party where he's just like not trying at anything and just being like, I deserve all the comforts. I can do whatever I want because of how down bad I am right now. And Amy, to her credit, is like, dude, I get it that like this sucks for you. And Cody, as you said, yeah, she like kind of guesses correctly that this has to do with Joe. But she's like, look, life doesn't end with this. You got to fucking pull yourself together at some point. And I can promise you And this is what I think the best piece of advice she gives him, what I think he responds to really well. The best way to respond to this is not sinking into kind of like despair and laziness and ignoring all virtue, but going the opposite direction and not necessarily to spite Joe, 
but just to be the best version of yourself. Yeah, she's like, you're spiraling and everyone can see it. Right, right. One of the other elements of this chapter that I really liked is while she is just giving Lori the business on how she like, what is the word that she uses? Is it that she despises him in his current state or he like disgusts her or something like that? It's something like that. Yeah, I didn't write down that specific phrasing, but yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, it's something like while they're having this discussion, it's really interesting because Amy is sketching Lori, who is like sprawled out lounging around in this villa. And she shows him this portrait. And it's a really cool use of basically saying like, look in the mirror. This is who you are right now. And it's just this sketch of this despondent, lazy, good for nothing guy. And then she shows him a previous sketch that she did of him and was like, this is who you used to be. And it's him like taming a horse and being like all energetic. So it's a great way of being like, look in the mirror. This is who you are. And this is who you used to be. Yeah. Happens to everyone. And, you know, I feel like what helps is that like Lori's looking for a pity party and Amy's like, yeah, I'm pitying you. This is what it looks like when I pity you. It's like, oh, that's not fun. Yep. And couldn't have had a better March sister there with Lori to offer this um, advice and scolding. So chapter 40 is called Valley of Shadow. So Beth's condition is getting far worse and the family the whole Marsh family is working to make her as comfortable as possible. So they're giving the, her the best room in the house. They move her piano in there. All of dad's best books go in there. Meg is over at the house with her babies whenever she can. Hannah is like crying over these very special meals she's making for her. And Joe doesn't leave Beth's side for more than like an hour at a time. The reason, and this just broke my heart is, Beth says that she feels stronger when Joe is there. I was just like, oh my God, crush me. Through all of this, Beth is still like, it's it's described as like Beth taking all of this with a courage and grace that personally, like I don't fully understand or think that I would be able to muster. But as she's like in bed dying, she's still like knitting, sewing things for like these little kids who pass by her window. Just... An, an absolute angel till the very last. But eventually Beth gets so sick that she describes the needle even that she's using to sew feeling too heavy. And she's in more and more pain and experiencing just like an overarching weariness all the time. Till one night she's looking through some books and finds a poem that Joe wrote titled My Beth. And this poem is truly beautiful. And it just calls out how courageous Beth is and noting that Beth has taught Joe so much. And even though she's dying, Joe is like confident that she will carry lessons she's learned from Beth for the rest of her life. So Beth, of course, loves this poem. And it said that she feels that like her life was not entirely useless. Cody, I this chapter is obviously very sad. But this little section of it in particular just broke me because it just Beth is just the person that is the unsung hero of this family. I think we've called her a glue guy before. And even she at the very end is kind of like needs this thing from Joe to assure herself that her life was not 
waste it and that like it had some kind of value in it how did how did that strike you well i i thought it was like unfortunately very like in character for Beth. like she is so like worrying and like always like when she would be doing like housework she would like be like washing her hands to the bone just because she's so self-conscious of like not being a contributor even though that's not how anyone sees her and so while it was really devastating, I thought it made a lot of sense. It wasn't like it came out of nowhere. And, you know, it's really sad that, like, this is basically what gives her permission to finally, like, let go. Yeah. And, and this, with this, a couple things come out of it. So, like I said, even though Beth is dying, she's forever going to be a part of Joe's life. So, not always there physically, obviously, but she, she'll remain in spirit. Uh, and then Beth asks a favor of Joe to basically take her place in the house to be the support that she has been to her parents. And what this might mean is kind of the end of Joe's writing ambition and kind of a fork in the road for Joe's, you know, castle in the in the sky or castle in the clouds, as it was referred to before. Because mm-hmm. Joe's always seeking like that fame that comes with writing like the next great American novel. And if she's going to basically keep to this promise to Beth of being at home with Marmy and Pa, can't really do that very easily. But Joe does promise her that she's going to do her best to take up her mantle. So spring finally comes and Beth is able to see and hear birds come back one last time. She dies peacefully, as she says, as she hoped with her tide kind of returning to the ocean peacefully. And the chapter ends with this still silence in the house that's only broken with what's described as a benediction from a singing bird outside. But it leaves on a on a kind of hopeful note where with everyone feeling that Beth is now finally well. And so there's this this quote in here that says those about her felt that she was ready, saw the first pilgrim called was likewise the fittest and waited with her on the shore, trying to see the shining ones coming to receive her when she crossed the river. So again, this is a very, very sad chapter and it is painted in the light of someone who firmly believes that this life is not the end for us. And so it's, I think hard a lot of the time for us who aren't necessarily like the same level of like religious belief as these people maybe to kind of feel the same way that they do where there's like a hope and calmness attached to a lot of the sad mourning feeling that you would have when someone you love so much passes away yeah you know to dig another Biblio takes reference out. It really reminded me of the amalgamation of a lot of things that Gandalf says in the movie version of Return of King, where it's like death is not the end, it's just another path. And even the metaphor about like crossing a body of water to approach like a certain beautiful stillness is really kind of where my mind went. That's a great call out. Yeah. yeah. Just like that, like but kind of like and you know, it's not necessarily in the books, but you know, we could cover the movie and like that that part of the movie is like even though it's in the middle of this enormous battle of the siege of Minas Tirith, it's just like, and all this tragedy, like it's just, it's that little part in what is like an enormous battle sequence 
that is like I find the most like calm and beautiful until the gray havens at the end. Totally. Yeah. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of that movie. And I, I think this is something that I struggle with a lot because like, how can it not feel like an end, especially when someone you love so much is gone. But mm-hmm. if that's what you truly believe, then there's, there's some hope and, and joy truly in feeling that they've reached their final destination. Chapter 41 titled learning to forget in an effort to uh, stop the the lady sads that Lori has he tries to write music and be the next Mozart in his words um, <laughs> but in trying to write like Mozart aka enormous concertos and like operas he's like this is hard okay two up. things Cody really quick just wanted to say Lori is trying his hardest to just enter his revenge season right now yeah that's right <laughs> and got secondly bars. I just laughed so hard because the type of music that he's trying to write is a requiem, which is actually a funeral mass. That's what a requiem is. He's he's wearing the My Chemical Romance eye black as he is at the piano. <laughs> yes, but he's determined. He's no longer lazy. He's just like he, he is an energized sad boy now. Dude, it's so funny. I was thinking about that because when they reference like Mozart, I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, like one of the classics. But I was like, wait, he's way closer to being like Mozart's contemporary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> than he is to be like, if I was going to write piano music, like he's closer to Mozart than I am to him. Yeah, totally. But he, like I said, he finds it like tedious almost and just bails on it. Uh, Amy receives a word of Beth's passing and she's, you know, understandably very, very shaken up by this. And she wants to go home, but her family actually urges her to stay, saying that. I can so the only reason I can like think that like they want her to like spend her morning time in Europe is just because and like why they haven't wanted her back for a while is like it's got to be so dangerous <laughs> to like do a transatlantic flight or not flight but like a ship it just has to be so dangerous and so expensive that I don't know that's just the only way because in my head I'm like oh of course you return what kind of question is that but I have to like remind myself of the perils of the day right and just how much more difficult everything was like right. You you can't just buy a boat ticket, and <laughs> yeah, because one one there might not be one for like a month, and also she's been in Europe for I think like two years now because we're in the spring, so I assume she's got basically has her whole life over there now, clothes, things, art, everything that she could possibly have. It's like it's in Europe now, so it's not mm-hmm. just like she would like return for a little bit and come back. It's like if she returns, it would be permanent. So. That's more or less why Amy uh, basically tries to get in contact with Lori and he packs his things and leaves where he is in Germany to be at Amy's side. And basically over this kind of mutual mourning period that they have, like that, this is where the love seriously starts to show itself. And again, because their romance is basically a bad Christmas uh, Netflix movie, uh, they start confessing their love for each other. Uh, on a rowboat. <laughs> yeah. In like the most like rom com way too, where they're both rowing at the same time. And they're like, how, how would you like to row with me in one boat for the rest of our lives? Like, fuck yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I mean, like they, when they, when they met by chance, it was on Christmas day and then they met at a ball later that night. Yeah. And they've been gallivanting all over Europe and now they're in a rowboat. 
in yeah. France? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I would be more concerned if you weren't falling in love at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I, I have no idea how I, this has to like be like, I, we haven't ever heard anything of like Joe's kind of reactions to Lori being in Paris with Amy and like them hanging out because she's been so concerned with Beth. Mm-hmm. But like if she was like thinking at all, she'd be like, wait a minute. What did I just send? I, did I just send this guy to like basically like be with my sister and do the rebound of the century? Yeah, I so we're kind of at the end of the chapter where it's like, yes, yeah. Lori go. Yeah, Lori goes links up again with Amy and then their romance kind of flourishes. So Cody thoughts on Joe, if she had known, like I personally, I just think Joe is a little too tunnel vision to even see that as a possibility. There's no way she's, yeah, she doesn't see it in general. Or or yeah, maybe tunnel vision is probably the wrong word. I guess she probably just, I think you're right though. because she, her, her tunnel vision is because of Beth's condition. Well, yeah, in that case, it's true. I just mean in relationship with like Lori going off to Europe and being with Amy. Like, I don't even know if she sees that as a possibility. Right. I don't think so either. But here's here's what I will say. There is a lot that we don't talk about in like either written directly on the page or some in between the line stuff that's talking about Lori getting over Joe and Amy maturing pretty dramatically over the course of their stays in Europe. And for example, Amy does get proposed to by Fred Vaughn and she mm-hmm. turns him down. And all of a sudden with that rejection, Amy comes to this realization like, Oh, this ideal I had of marrying for money. I don't actually really believe that that's necessary anymore. I don't think that I, I need to do that. That's not important to me the way it was before. Amy's, And the way that she's just absolutely roasting Laurie and letting him know what a piece of shit he's being. It's like Amy is maturing very, very quickly. And Laurie himself is becoming a better man, especially in, you know, kind of getting over Joe. And there's a lot of like in between the line stuff about how well they mesh as characters where... We talked about it a little bit last week, jokingly, but like how Lori is comfortable being kind of like trampled on by Amy Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like they complement each other well in other ways, too. But for for those reasons, I actually really enjoyed reading their romance. Like it is cheesy and like picturesque, I'll say. But like it felt real to me. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel circumstantial at Mm -hmm. all. And it takes place over the course of months. It's not like all of a sudden, this is what's happening. Like there is lead up to this. Right. And, you know, the only thing circumstantial is like the meeting on Christmas Day. But it feels earned because, you know, Amy earned the trip to Europe. Lori is incredibly wealthy and went with his grandfather to do business. Like, so it's not like, and also the hardship of actually getting to Europe almost like decreases like, the spontaneity that it could have had. You had to like give them reasons to go. Right. And I, I think the initial, like for somebody that's listening to this podcast, I would imagine if you hadn't ever seen any of the movies or hadn't read the book, the easy way of looking at this is like, okay, you got turned down by one sister. So you're going to the next one that's available. (laughs) I don't see it like that. 
and I don't know if I if I am missing something. I truly don't. Like at this point, I truly believe Amy is completely and totally worthy and independent of Joe and everything there, but has the same kind of like wonderful upbringing that Lori respects and like admires so much. So anyway, all of that to say, it sounds a little fishy. <laughs> like, I, I get it. It doesn't read like that. Right. If you're looking at the spark notes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we've gone through a lot with these characters and, you know, it feels more earned when you, when you, when you see the full picture. I, I am a, I am an ardent Lori and Amy defender at this point. <laughs> That's great. I love that for you. All right. So moving on, moving on to chapter 42 titled all alone. Joe is understandably very sad and she's feeling that her promise of taking up Beth's responsibilities in the house are going to be not super doable. <laughs> Beth was cut out for this kind of stuff. Joe, not so much. We lost the glue guy. We, we did. But she finds comfort in her mom and dad, and she starts feeling closer even to Beth when doing some of that household labor where it's like, oh, I'm, you know, mopping with Beth's mop and all of this stuff. And it's like, okay, Beth still remains here in small ways. You know, just through her memory, it just kind of seeps into all of the all of the well chores really that <laughs> that Joe mm-hmm. is doing. That that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Meanwhile, Meg's doing great in her marriage. She's just killing it. And Joe is looking at it and being like, hmm, marriage might not be the worst thing in the world. Like my sister is really enjoying life right now. She loves her kids, loves her husband. Maybe it's not the worst thing. So she's doing her best around the house to care for her mom and dad, but she's still missing that call to do something greater, especially in, you know, literary works or something along those lines. And Marmy is like, hey, dude, you should write something for us. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Just write it to us, your family as your audience. So Joe does this and her story when published is received really well. Dad credits the success to some truth that Joe found in her story, which was written without any kind of desire for fame or fortune. And Joe credits any truth in the story to truths that she had learned either from Marmy or Beth. At this point, news of Amy and Lori's engagement reach them, and Joe takes it really well, actually, like all things said. She's not spiteful. She's not like, She's genuinely happy for them. And Marmy's like, yeah, I was kind of hoping this would happen. She's noticing at the same time just how lonely Joe has been and wonders if Joe's answer would have been different if Lori had tried again when he came back from Europe. But we get this question here of like saying yes to this romantic proposal because you love someone versus wanting to be loved. And that's what Joe is. I mean, Joe is for all of like all of her virtues. One of the things that I love about her is that she seems like incredibly wise to me. And she recognizes this in herself where she's like, if Lori had come back, I may have been tempted to say yes, but it wouldn't be because I love Lori so much. It's because I desire to be desired. Mm -hmm. which I think is a really important distinction. 
So Joe reads this letter that Amy sends back about just how fucking sick it is being in love with Lori. And Joe is like a little bit jealous. Not necessarily that Amy has Lori, but that like Amy feels so full of love and Joe is comparatively feeling pretty empty. And the chapter ends with Joe rereading a letter from Mr. Bear and wishing that she could see him. And there's this quote here. Was it self-pity, loneliness, or low spirits? Or was it the waking up of a sentiment sentiment which had bided its time as patiently as its inspirer? Who shall say? So chapter ends with this very open kind of nod to like, okay, now maybe Joe is getting ready for some romance to actually enter into her life. Yeah, you know, it's she's now it's her turn to feel down bad. It's not necessarily the revenge that Lori had probably thought of himself as he sat on this on the keys and was trying to write his way out of misery, but you know, it's not nothing. She's feeling really down. Everything's coming up Amy, they've always had a rivalry. Yeah, I mean, Joe just lost maybe the most important person in her life. She lost Beth. And so it's completely and totally natural to look around and see this like budding romance emerge at the exact same time and think, I need something to fill this hole in me that was just made from by De- uh, by Beth's passing. Totally get that. Yeah. Chapter 43 is titled Surprises. So continuing on this kind of not, I won't call it a spiral because it's not that bad, but Joe's in a, in a bit of a funk, I'd say. Yeah, safe and, to and say. She, and, <laughs> and she's kind of becoming like, like one thing that like, because like you said, Joe's very wise and she's also very practical. And while she's always, at least she told Lori that she like kind of rejects the concept of being like married and doesn't necessarily think that's what she wants for herself. She's like, okay, well, I also am keen to like what society is like. And, I'd, and I'm officially like a spinster now. At the old age of 25. <laughs> I know. Brutal stuff for yeah. 19th century women. <laughs> but her uh, sadness is less so when uh, Lori and Amy returned uh, from Europe and announced that they've married. We did it, guys. And, you know, everyone's super excited, including Joe, who, you know, welcomes Lori as like the true brother in the family now. But that's not the only surprise because that evening, Joe finds out that Professor Bear is. At the front door, huh? he just huh? he just like repelled in, just parachuted in because he's in town for some business, and you know that is really tight for Joe. And she invites him in to join in on the festivities and stuff. Yeah, I love this interaction here because it's like <laughs> everybody immediately loves Mister Bear, and the only person that's like somewhat skeptical is Lori. On the uh, like uh, at the offset, um, classic, classic stuff. Yeah, he like takes a second to warm up to Bear, but like eventually gets sucked in regardless. And also, Bear is looking at Lori and is just like, "God fucking damn it! How sick would it be if I was still in my twenties?" <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, Lori's they're they kind of like look at each other and they're just like, "Stop, stop, man." i know you you know me what's the deal here yeah it's it's not as tense as we're making it out to be but there's definitely like some hmm i know your name 
I know you. Yeah, and I feel I feel like all of that kind of goes out the window when Lori is like, "Hey, dude, me and my wife were so happy to meet you." And Bear's like, "Oh, Lori's engaged or like married to someone that isn't Joe." Fuck yeah. <laughs> Chalk one up to Team Bear. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very first dubs for Bear in God knows how long. And right, I think right. Lori even too has to be like, like, ah, yeah, Bear, fuck this guy. Oh, wait, I'm married. Nah, I guess I don't care as much. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Bear fits in so well with this family. Obviously, as we know from previous episodes, Bear's great with kids. So Demi and Daisy are just like all over this guy. It's great. He's also like an intellectual. And so, you know, Mr. March is just like, like immediately entering into philosophical conversations with this guy. It's like good vibes almost immediately. He's European. So he fits the sensibilities of Amy and uh, Lori, even despite Lori's like probably like skittishness at first. And like, yeah, like as we know, been before, like, him and Mr. March and Marmy probably share a ton of the same like politics on like drinking and stuff. So the guy's just a natural fit. Right, right. Okay. Two two notes. One is when Joe is like welcoming in Amy and Lori, she has this really nice conversation with Lori. I just this conversation is so great because it just it's so naturally appears like their relationship has reached a really like solid footing where all of a sudden like there's no doubt in anyone's mind that joe and Lori are now going to spend the rest of their lives with like a really strong healthy platonic brotherly sisterly relationship so just wanted to make that very clear great great conversation between the two of them second thing i wanted to bring up was at one point grandpa lawrence is there and pulls Joe aside, looking at this empty seat by the fire and tells her, you must be my girl now, looking at the spot that Beth used to sit. And I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh no, <Don't> that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so sweet. That'd be like the vibes harsher of the century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super happy party. Yeah. Everyone's here. Oh, we met this guy. Everyone knows Joe's likes him. He's so cool. And then Grandpa Lawrence just like, I am so sad. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is that we 100% know that Bear is still crushing on Joe. Because he goes oh, to yeah. bed at night, like, kissing this picture of her. Let's get into chapter 44, My Lord and Lady. Amy and Lori are discussing Mr. Bear. And they're like, yeah, he's going to try to get married to Joe. This is going to happen. Lori is all on board but kind of wishes that Bear was a little bit younger and richer. And Amy's like, dude, no one should marry for money. And we have this interesting discussion, given that like Amy had thrown down her opinions about wanting to marry for money and just lucked out by getting rich anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Big talk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, easy for you to say, Amy. Okay. So... (laughs) Amy is also seeing that Lori is completely over Joe and Lori like is very convincing when he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be mad about Joe getting married. It's all it's all good. So we can put all of this like past love stuff to bet. We don't need to talk about this anymore. Everything's on the on the straight and narrow. But the two of them kind of go on to talk about their own philanthropy and wanting to help this 
couple if they're able to do so, meaning Joe and Bear. And Laurie is also saying how he wants to be able to help hardworking people like some of the people he came across in Europe and, you know, quote, wanting to give them a lift. And the way that they want to do this is helping out either in Amy's desires, helping out aspirational girls and Laurie saying he wants to help the poor genteel class. So people like the marches where, you know, you're not begging on the streets but you're still struggling along and you're just not in a position where anybody's like stepping up to help you out. Um, but you desperately need it at times. So this whole chapter, it's a very short one, but what I'm seeing here is that the two of them, first of all, it's a great fit. Their dialogue is great. It's very complimentary. And that I think what Alcott is trying to do here is tell us that their relationship is being strengthened by their commitment to helping others with what they mm-hmm. have. That's right. That's chapter 44. Uh, chapter 45, titled Daisy and Demi. Uh, in this chapter, we learn all about Megan John's young twins, the broke kids. So <laughs> Daisy, Daisy's just like your classic, like absolutely like adorable little girl. And, you know, always running around the house like basically like doing like the little kid thing of just saying like i love you and everyone's like i love you too <laughs> goes into another room i love you and they're like yep love you too honey um and uh demi john is like also very energetic and is uh really good at learning the alphabet uh with his grandfather uh mr march and is like already stepping up as being like this like protector for his sister and is doing like the classic older brother stuff. Both children love Aunt Joe. And, you know, Aunt Joe was just always going to be like a super, super great influence on them. Always lo- like kept her inner child. But the kids get a little jelly sometimes because their playdates get cut short every once in a while when Mr. Bear comes calling and Aunt Joe has to go away because she's talking to a dude and they don't understand. They're like, well, what the hell, Aunt Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I got like 30 more minutes of ball time before dinner. <laughs> Pig bladder time. <laughs> yeah, whatever nonsense toy they had at the time. Yeah, hoop stick we've talked about. Maybe like a romping game of like, you know, throwing things in the river. Just your imagination. Probably yeah. most of it. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's pretty much it. We just get some nice little color on how cute those kids are. Yeah, I love how they call Joe Aunt Dodo. And they call Mr. Bear the bear man <laughs> the bear man <laughs> the bear man is like if you knew a guy in college with the last name bear that guy's going to get called the bear man <laughs> 100% yeah and and in one of so demi is like this very he's like from a young age very philosophical asking all these very in-depth questions which i loved and one of them was like demi ends up kissing this little girl named mary earlier in the day and asks uh, Mr. Bear, like, you know, aren't little boys supposed to like little girls? And Mr. Bear's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. And then the next question is Demi's like, so do older boys like older girls? And Joe's in the room, and Mr. Bear is like, uh, you better fucking believe it, dude. <laughs> You're goddamn right. <laughs> and Joe's like hiding her face. Mr. March, Dad March is also in the room and is just like, 
shit <laughs> what's going on here yeah this is a very like cute little interaction that they had and it's much funnier than the interaction that like usually happens when kids are a little too precocious on the world thinking which is just asking the question why until yeah. you have to start explaining to them like the heat death of the universe <laughs> <laughs> right yeah his his particular line of questioning is uh grandpa why did my legs work <laughs> And, and Mr. March is like, um, well, they're controlled by your mind, Demi. And Demi's like, all right, what controls my mind? And he's like, well, it's God. And he's like, okay, when does God make my mind work? And he's like, well, can't see it, but he wound it like a clock. And he's like, nah, it probably happens when I'm sleeping. And it's like, you know what? Good enough for me. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that answer. Let's go with that. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Chapter 46 is titled Under the Umbrella. So Joe and Mr. Bear are going on regular walks with Mr. Bear like conveniently bumping into her while she's like out and about. It's like Joe will go out and Mr. Bear will just be like passing by happenstance. But also Joe is also leaving the house being like, really hope I run into this fucking bear guy. No doubt. So everyone sees what's going on here, but Joe is afraid of being made fun of, knowing full well that everyone is holding on to receipts of her saying that she's never getting married. Oh, yeah. So Bear is there for like two weeks and he's visiting just about every day until one day he just doesn't show up and they don't see him for about three days. And Joe is like, fucking pissed <laughs> like where the hell did this guy go <laughs> and so she's like you know what i'm gonna go fucking find him and so under the guise of like running some errands she goes into town while it's kind of rainy out and marmy is like hey joe make sure to bring back bear if you see him wink 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 and joe's like all right mom i'm, I'm leaving now <laughs> So rainy day, Joe forgot her umbrella. And as she's like loitering around the um, dude part of town, she's like hoping to run into Mr. Bear. What is the dude part of town? Do you think is just like gyms? Yeah. And, like one barber shop. <laughs> yeah, a GNC. Like a dick sporting goods. <laughs> yeah. Sports bar. Uh, in this case, a billiards room. Yeah. Like a salon, but the old type where it's just guys smoking cigs. Yeah, yeah. So Joe has to make up her mind about like, okay, do I embarrass myself by just walking into this store and asking a dude where this bear guy is and if she can borrow an umbrella? Or does Joe risk her own death by doing errands in the rain? <laughs> Dude, the 1800s were so bad. <laughs> oh, so as luck would have it, she actually runs into Mr. Bear who, of course, is like, oh, fancy seeing you here. Do you want to share my umbrella? I can come with you and do some shopping with you. So Joe's like, hey, man, where the fuck have you been? Mom and dad have really been missing you. And Bear's like, oh, just your mom and dad? And she's like, yeah, I mean, you're a great guy. It would have been cool to have you around. Bear's like, okay, not the answer <laughs> I was hoping for. But Bear lets Joe know that he's successfully finished up his business and will be leaving town soon. What his business was is he's talking with some friends who got him a gig teaching in a university out west. And with this job, he'll be able to better provide for himself and these orphan kids, um, his nephews, right? 
throughout this entire interaction, Joe is sending like so many mixed signals. She's like ecstatic to see him and then kind of playing coy about not missing him like her mom and dad are. And then she's like, oh no, you're going away. But, you know, it, it's just not super clear how Joe feels about Mr. Bear leaving. Bear's having a terrible time trying to read what Joe is thinking throughout this, guy's this whole interaction. <laughs> He's just like, what? what is going on with this girl? It's like, there's some mention about how, like, in a 30-minute period of time, Joe can feel 11 different ways. And Bear just does not know how to navigate this. Dude, he's in he's in the ring. He's in like round twelve with emotional Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Just body shots leading up to an uppercut. What is going on? Okay, so they're going shopping together. Joe's making a mess of things in store. She's obviously very like frazzled <laughs> being around this guy. Uh, and Bear is like hey, it would be great to just spend another night at your house. So they plan on buying some food for like this going away dinner at the March house. But then he says to Joe, he's like, hey, I've got a favor to ask you. Dot, dot, dot. Joe gets her hopes up. And he's like, I want to get a dress for Tina and a shawl for her mom, but I need your help picking him out. So Joe immediately is like a little bit deflated, but at the same time, like just constantly improving her opinion about this guy because it's like just the generosity just seeps through. So... They go shopping. Joe picks out this little dress, trying on shawls. Bear's looking at her. They're like playing husband and wife in the store. It's very cute. They walk, start walking home and Bear notices Joe is crying. And he's just like, hey, like, what's wrong? And Joe says, I'm crying because you're going away. And that is literally all it takes. Because finally Bear's like, okay, if that's how you feel, I just need to let you know. I came here, I did want to settle some business, but I came here primarily to figure out, do you feel anything more than just friendship with me? And obviously, Joe does. And so a proposal comes out of this immediately. It's like, hey, you want to shack up forever for forever and ever? Like, <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I've been waiting two whole fucking weeks for you to propose to me. What's the deal? What I love about this, Cody, is that it's a very unconventional proposal for a very unconventional pair. It makes That's total right. sense. It's in the rain. He doesn't get down on a, on one knee. There's no ring present. It's, you know, dirty, just like both of these people are just kind of like misfits in a way. Yeah, especially emotional misfits where they're super not good at like expressing themselves for m- different reasons for each other. But at the end of the day, they're both like they both feel uncomfortable with their own feelings towards each other. And it, that's why it takes so long to finally, you know, get this going. So with the proposal accepted and both of them feeling psyched, we just have to get the Teddy stuff out of the way. So, <laughs> like, hey, Joe, whatever was about like, you know, this Lori guy. Joe's like, hey, he was always just a friend, never really liked him. Bear, immediately, like, big exhale. Thank God. (laughs) Deep breath in, deep breath out. You should have seen what happened when I turned him down. I mean, Mr. Lawrence had to, like, you know, really pull out the big guns to get this guy out of the wood chipper. It was bad. Yeah. So Joe asks what finally brought him there, and he takes this poem of hers out of a pocket that's titled In the Garret. And Joe reads this poem, which describes like the chests of the March kids up in their attic and kind of like where they're all at now. And the passage that brought Bear to the March house was about Joe feeling lonely. 
And it's hilarious because Joe just tears up this poetry because she thinks it's awful. We learned that Bear didn't come sooner because he felt like unfit at that point to ask for her hand in marriage. Joe's like, dude, I'm psyched that you're poor and couldn't give a rat's ass that you're old. It's all good. I'd love you if you were 70. Bear is hyped, of course. Unfortunately, he does still have to go out west for a time, so they're going to need to wait to get married. But the chapter ends with them getting back to the house and Joe kissing them at their front steps. Adorable. Chapter 47, titled Harvest Time. R.I.P. Aunt March. She's gone. And if you thought that was sudden, she did die suddenly. And we now award the winner of the Marrying for Money Award to Mr. Bear because Miss March <laughs> awarded Plumefield her entire estate to Joe. Hell yeah. In a move that I anticipate perhaps was done before going to Europe and she just couldn't organize a notary to change things up <laughs> before they got back. <laughs> yeah, this one was surprising to me as well. I I guess the the only note in there was like Aunt March liked Joe more than she let on or more than Joe realized, I think. So, but it was kind of a surprise to me. You think she would have done it if she would have known that she was getting engaged to Mr. Bear? I think it just depends on like how. So, I'm we're just talking about Joe. I'm making a joke right now. This is being unfair to Joe, who is a great person and definitely deserves this badass inheritance. But, like, can you imagine if she's like, all right, Meg, Meg got uh, Mr. Brooke bad. Amy, my jewel, absolutely cashed in. Good girl. And then now, hopefully, Joe, this will raise her status to marry. Yeah. (laughs) Ultimate record scratch. Get my lawyer on the phone. But overjoyed, you know, everyone's super excited. And Joe is like walking around this huge mansion and just like, how am I going to absolutely make this place my own? And what she decides to do is she's going to open up a boy's home with Professor Bear and her as teachers. And so it'd be a place for, you know, rich kids and poor kids to grow up in an environment together where they can understand each other. And this is like really exciting for everyone. Eventually, um, Joe and Mr. Bear do get married. Um, they have two little boys of their own uh, named Rob and Teddy. Very cute. Um, Amy also has her own kid, a, a, a young sickly daughter. You'll be shocked to believe that this young sickly daughter's name is Beth. But Amy is a good mom and you know is always just doting on her daughter, um, worried about her health. And then um, the chapter kind of ends with this autumn apple picking festival at Plumfield. And the family celebrates Marmy's 60th birthday which is just, you know, setting records all over the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. All the little boys are climbing apple trees and hanging out, and they sing to her, which makes everyone very happy. And the family uh, gives thanks for having one another. And that is where our story comes to a close. Yeah, I loved I loved the ending of this chapter. And real quick, before I get sincere, one of the things I was thinking about was like, Okay, so Aunt March giving Joe this house. I wonder, I don't think that this is what happened, but imagine if she's just trying to be vindictive and as one last slight to Joe, she's like, here, have this enormous mansion that I know you can't pay the actual like upkeep on. Uh So like just as one final slight to Joe... (laughs) After, like, all of the bullshit they've been through. 
Yeah. And then Joe turns around and gets her back. And like, you know, she has to look on from the afterlife as Joe turns the place into a house for poor people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You were supposed to be selfish and not be able to take care of it. Yeah. I, okay. So I love this with the whole family, the whole family there. Cody, you named, you mentioned that Amy's daughter is named Beth. And so even Beth is some, in some way, like represented, you know, in a small way in this gathering. Right. But what I love too about it is that we return to this idea of like their castles in the sky where all three of the March girls are kind of discussing how all three of them got a castle in the sky, though not necessarily the one that they thought that they wanted. Where like Meg wanted extravagant things and to live in like a loving home. Well, she got the loving home, but she's not wealthy. Amy, she wanted the, you know, rich lifestyle and everything, which she got, but it also came with like, okay, you have to deal with like this sickly daughter of yours. And I say deal with that's, you know, crude, the crude way of putting it, but you know, there's some, it, it's not perfect. And finally, Joe got what she wanted, though. She's not able to like have the fame and fortune from a writing career, but it's so lovely seeing them all together. And I don't think that it's a mistake that the setting of this is in a almost like garden of Eden paradise, complete with apple trees everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I loved the ending of this book. I thought it was so, so perfect where every like, and I think, you know, we can, we can just get into kind of how we thought about the book as a whole. But one of the things that I was going to ask you is like, what did you take away from from reading this, like, what did you learn, if anything? And I was just going to say, like, for me, it's just the importance of like, you know, put your family first, put your community, whatever, whatever it is, like, that's what's, that's what's important and sharing what you have outside of that as well. Yeah, I think one thing that like, you know, like they got their reward like this almost like heavenly garden of Eden. And, and the whole time, it's not like the girls were perfect and like through their like like through being perfect they got their reward what happened was they would like make mistakes or experience hardship learn a lesson and then keep that lesson it wasn't supposed to be that things are good you had to like recognize when things are bad recognize bad things in yourself or like forgive someone else's transgressions against you and like every time that happened their characters like built and it was like brick by brick that's how they basically got to the end of this like great story and it, it wasn't through like it's not like when you're like it's it, it's 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 way more them like kind of being like learning from themselves as opposed to like necessarily being like Jesus even though they are pretty religious or they're not supposed to be like if I'm not perfect all the time, things will be bad. It's like, they, that's not even part of their process. It's I'm going to be myself. And then I learn things to improve myself. So it was always like future them's goal. Like them in the future was always the goal of like what they wanted to be. But just because of circumstance and things that they bring with them, it they got there, but not in the way that they thought of. Right, right. Don't you, don't you find it interesting that when they're talking about their ideal 
castle in the sky. It's all very individual pursuits that gets them to their own independent place. But what we realize at the end is the castle in the sky that they found themselves in includes everybody and it took everybody to get there. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I, I picked up on that too. Cause like the book basically starts with this one family and then it builds. And for a while it's the, it's like all these people just like interacting with each other. And then the, the, the party basically splits where people go to Europe or people get married and they move out of the house and Joe goes to New York. And then he, he brings in this new guy and like all of it coalesces as like, like, like Beth's death is almost like the catalyst for bringing everyone together. And when, like whenever they described her castle in the sky, it was, I want all of us to be together. And like the reason that Amy and like Lori start like heading back is like, they can't go there immediately, but they're like, all right, through that hardship, we're going to be together and we're going to mourn together in Europe. And Mr. Lawrence is always like a benefactor of the family. And like he took that passing really hard. So he's like basically even more dedicated to the marches. Like Joe basically finds this emptiness in herself when she loses Beth and then is able to then like recognize that she deserves to be loved. And Mr. Bear shows up very serendipitously and their romance blossoms. And so at the end of the book, even Beth got what she wanted, even not Nate. Totally. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Yeah, that, that Beth's original ideal of what she would want is what everybody comes to enjoy at the end. Yeah, that's right. Cody, who do you think... Well, if, let me ask you this. Would you read the sequel? Not I'm not asking for the podcast necessarily, but would you, after reading this book, read the sequel, Little Men? I'd think about it. I'd, I'd, I'd read it. I don't know. I wouldn't have very high expectations. Not and not to say that it's bad, but I would I would read it. Yeah, that is that is exactly how I felt too. Where I'm just like, this was such a great ending, and I'm like, I almost yeah, I almost don't want to, and that's like, I kind of want to just leave it. That's unfair. This unfair to that story, little men. It's probably pretty. It's probably unfair to it, but you know, they're my feelings. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I don't. I like this book ended, and I was like, yes, book close. I would feel. I, maybe I would like give myself like a month or two to think about it because right now it's like book close. I'm like, this book was awesome. I enjoyed myself. And like the idea of like, Oh, do you want to read little men? Like, well, not really. Not right now. Maybe in a couple of months I would. And I'd be like, ah, kind of want to dive back in. But as of right now, no, not really. Yeah. I think I, I feel pretty similarly for those of you who, who are wondering little men is the, is the sequel to this book. And it picks up basically right where we left, leave off with following Joe and this school, this house that she puts together for all of these, you know, or in some rich boys that live there um, in Plumfield. Um, okay, Cody, last question, and then we can move on to some on to some uh, segment stuff. So the first part of this book, the first half of it, part one, feels like it is very much a children's story. The second part of it doesn't feel like that to me as much where all of a sudden girls are grown up and they're dealing with grown up things. We have death, we have marriage, we have new kids being introduced. So I guess what I would ask you is like, who do you think either like age group, demographic type of person, who could, who can benefit the most from reading this book? 
Well, it's a little bit of like a Swiss army knife in terms of like character applications where because we, this story grows with the girls and anyone would benefit from it. Um, but I think maybe people like a little bit of the YA crowd, young adults in their twenties would benefit most from it just because they have the closest connection and eventually end up being contemporaries with the main like daughters in the story towards the end. Um, it's always easier that way, but you know, one cool thing about children's books is because everyone was a child at one point, you can have connections. And if you ever grew up with siblings, you know what it's like to bicker and to fight and say things at the time you think are unforgivable and then get forgiven in like a week. Like, so there, there's enough lessons to be learned from everything. And like, the, and the idea of like spending Christmas with people, going out to dinner, messing up at school, meeting a boy. Why is he interested in me? I don't feel that way. And then if, if those are all things that everyone goes through. So I think that, you know, to answer your question, I think people on the cusp of adulthood probably get a lot out of it just because they connect with them. But I mean, if you're someone who's older, I bet you'd absolutely connect with Marmy or even a Mr. Lawrence. There's no, there, there's a character in here for everyone. I was having a tough time trying to like come up with one answer to this question when I was thinking about it. And I think that is part of the reason in our last book where the crowd ad sing, we were asking like, will this book stand the test of time? We know the answer for this book already. The answer is yes. It's was written in the 19th century. We're still reading it today. It stood the test of time. And I think part of the reason for that is when you ask like, who can benefit most from this book? Who is this book for? It's for literally anyone who picks it up. There's something in here for anybody, in my, in my opinion. And so that's a really kind of dumb answer, I think. But I don't know a better way of it's answering correct. it. It's <laughs> yeah. correct. If it makes you feel better, I think that's a correct answer. Cody, who do you think is the biggest winner in this book? Joe. I think of all the castles in the sky, she got what she wanted the most, other than the kind of more philosophical stuff. Here's the thing: she like she even got her literary success towards the end. She wrote that book and published it, so she can there's those laurels she can hang her hat on. And I think she grew probably the most, except for maybe Amy as a person. So the winners is less interesting because so many people to me like won coming mm-hmm. out of this book, like. So many people get what they want. I think an interesting honorable mention for that question is just Marmy. Oh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so she lost Beth. That sucks. But everybody did. So level playing field there. Right. And she gets to just sit back in the comfort of either Lori's house, Joe's new house, and just like enjoy her kids and grandkids and her, you know, sons and daughters and or sons-in-law and just like hang out and oh, i guess yeah. the same goes for for mr. mr march too yeah everything's coming up march parents big time amy huge winner being like nah i don't yeah. want money and then just being like oh that, that that's pretty sweet you get a hot right. guy that i love and money and yeah. i'm hot huge huge up for amy <laughs> biggest loser oh aunt march huge huge loser absolute l like whether or not her inheriting giving joe the house out of like maybe she'll turn around one day or like i forgot to change my will or like a weird prank yeah 
Yeah, yeah. He then took her house and all her wealth that she like covetously hoarded and like would <laughs> never help her. Like, like wait, remind me again. Like the relationship to them is is it that's her Mr. March is her brother, uh, right? Or is it like brother in law or cousin? Mr. March is her nephew. Her, her nephew. Yeah. Okay. Where was her like dinners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, she like made Joe like be her like servant and like rub her feet and read her like the worst stories in the world. Also, to be like, maybe one day I'll give you a vacation. (laughs) And then she left everything to Joe, and Joe's like, I'm gonna fill this place to the brim with poor kids. Yeah, (laughs) just Aunt March is rolling in her grave right now. One hundred percent, Aunt March is the correct answer. Honorable mentions for that include Fred Vaughn. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> fine. I don't know. <laughs> Fred Vaughn is currently gallivanting around Egypt <laughs> after being turned down by Amy. Uh, and I will throw in there as well the Moffats, who have to look on this serene family who were poor for so long, and now they have the best of everything. They have wealthy friends, all the love anybody could wish for, and those guys are in their cold, unloving house, and just being like, okay, so where did we go wrong? I think the implication is, uh, well, yeah, the Moffats, like, they're classic, like, rich people who don't learn their lessons, and you know it's true, because when they left the, um, when they left uh, the Brook wedding, they're like, how was that fun? Yeah. (laughs) Trying to, like, make the connection in their head between, like, for me, all my happiness is tied into their wealth, but they don't have it. But they're happy. Hmm, like stroking the beard, like Mr. Moffat, like like staring out a window pensively, just be like, like happiness minus money equal what? <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Gears turning, not connecting. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, Cody, let's do some burdens of the week, some capitals of the week, and we can sign off here. What do you got for burdens? Burdens of the week, really hard to do. So we're kind of, I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but just like, you know, Bear and Joe, you guys got to figure it out. Driving me up a wall here. Just getting, we're just getting engaged. What are we doing? And I know that's like just storytelling, but God, God damn it. Just get engaged. What are we doing? Yeah, part of it I think that I that I didn't mind so much is and this is all in hindsight because I know it, I think if I if I'm reading you correctly, your burden is just the reading of all of it, like getting through it and just being like can you guys just do something about this? But in hindsight it makes more sense because it's like okay, the build up makes the the result a little bit more believable. Right. Anyway, for me Lori being a piece of shit is kind of tough to read. I'm like dude Oh, yeah. I want to like you so bad. Just put it out. Losing Beth was so hard, but also just written so beautifully that it's hard to like include that as a burden. And Beth not being there physically at the end, I was just like hurting because of that. Like as much as you can think like, okay, she's there in spirit and her castle in the sky is realized by everyone else. It still doesn't feel entirely complete without her there. So that that sucked. What's your capital for this week? I really, really enjoyed it, as much as it is to say that I can enjoy it, but the chapter about Beth's passing was just really well done to me. So great. Yeah. It was so great. Yeah. I mean, other than that, this book is also like funny in the way that we make it funny. <laughs> yeah. Where like, you know, 
the standoff between uh, Laurie and Mr. Bear was really funny. And like, I actually, when they're like, yeah, I'm March Pass and left everything to Joe, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, what's she going to do? And she's like, I'm going to make it a school. I'm like, you're goddamn right you are. That's awesome. (laughs) So, you know, the classic, you know, bibliotheques thing, they're writing, but it's good. It is good. Winners. We're not going to apologize for picking winners. Yeah. Yeah. My capital, I picked it kind of an easy way out. I just said like literally everything else. Like everything else in this section of reading was so great. So fun. It ends perfectly. So very few notes. Okay. Next time, we'll have a couple special guests on to discuss both the 1990s film adaptation and the 20 teens film adaptation of Little Women. So we'll do some compare and contrasting with that. Play some games along the movies. Going to be a fun time. Looking forward to that. I think after that, we're going to take maybe a week off in between books. So we'll miss you guys dearly, but just uh, be aware of that. And we will have our next book announcement out shortly. Remember to follow us on Instagram for that announcement. Feel free to send us emails at bibliotheques at gmail.com with any thoughts on this episode or any previous ones. But until our next recording, this has been the Bibliotheques Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. 